The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to The Legendarium. Okay, thoughts on Bard the Bowman and this chapter? Uh, I think he's V1 for Aragorn. <laughs> There's a lot of V1ing going on yeah. here. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. I am your host, Craig Hanks, and with me is the pride of West Layton, Kyle Lemon. Yes, that's that's what they call me. Is that, Don't you have a tattoo of that on your lower back? Yeah, well, it's, it's my lower area. Okay. It's not right. on the back. Well, today is episode <laughs> 255. Today we're talking about The Hobbit chapters 12 through 14, because doggone it, we are going to finish this book. I think it's been... What, three months since we it's, did The Hobbit? It's been a hot minute. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, uh, so this is, again, chapters 12 through 14. I'm not even going to spoiler alert The Hobbit because it's The Hobbit. So if you haven't read it, that's your own dang fault. Anyway, I would like to remind <laughs> you, though, that The Legendarium is available on your favorite podcast player. But if you're looking for older episodes, you can find them grouped by subject at thelegendariumpodcast.com. Uh, if you enjoy what we do here, please consider supporting us on Patreon and, of course, tell your tell your friends and leave a review. All right. So, Kyle, The Hobbit. The Hobbit. The Hobbit. The Hobbit, yes. The uh, Hobbit. Yeah, okay. So, as your, as your daughter calls it, The yes, Hobbit, which the is Hobbit. just too adorable for us not to use. So, today is chapters 12 through 14 mm -hmm. in which we finally meet Smaug. Yes, sir. Okay, so, this is the arguably the most famous portion of the book just because smaug is arguably the greatest dragon ever written smaug the stupendous and yes. whatever's his magnificence i yeah, can't exactly. remember exactly what the line is but uh so it, it is i you know i am kind of interested in just how short smaug's screen time is it's very small yeah like you really i mean for the all the hype the whole point of this quest is to get to the lonely mountain to slay the dragon or evict the dragon or whatever it is. It's all about the dragon, right? Yep. And reclaim the home homeland. And there's very little uh, Smaug interaction. Like there, it's there and it's, it's amazing, but it's not nearly as much as you would expect. Well, it's uh it's a bit like the Gollum chapter. So Gollum is in chapter five mm -hmm. and that's it. Is it? Yep. But when I was, so I read the Hobbit for the first time back in the eighth grade for right. a, a book report that I wrote back then. And I did not know, I, I've told this story a few times, so I apologize if this is a repeat for some listeners, but I didn't know that he had written anything else. I just thought, oh, that was a cool book. Yay. And then when I went and saw The Lord of the Rings for the first time, I thought, I've seen this movie before. Mm -hmm. And it was because Gollum, as a character, had stuck out so well, right? Uh, had, had latched onto my mind in just one chapter. He was able to mm -hmm. achieve that in a single chapter uh, to draw this scene and this character that was so interesting. And he does the same thing with Smaug, right. who in inhabits only chapter 12. Now, remind me. Okay. Riddles in the Dark and Gollum in general was added in later. No, Gollum was there. Okay. It was just, he was revamped. Okay, so later. it was it was expanded and... Exactly. Okay. So yeah, okay. he was the... It, basically, once the mm -hmm. ring in the Lord of the Rings obtained a capital r it was like oh it was okay. oh okay, okay so i gotta go back because so, it didn't make any sense for Gollum to act the way he did in the original version of the hobbit right. if the ring was in fact the ring i the reason i ask okay is because these two chapters are very very similar yep and i love that and i like the connection there i don't i'm, I'm assuming it's intentional uh but just the feel of bilbo and his battle of wits with Gollum is very much the same as his conversation with Smaug and the way that he converses with him. And I like that it was, you know, it's almost like Bilbo learned from that experience with Gollum on how to interact with dangerous creature. And he had to be able to do that in order to speak to Smaug right. the way that he did. And there's so much, there's so many similarities between the two scenes. Well, let's get to those similarities in just a moment. Sure. Uh, first, when we start the chapter, 
Bilbo and co, I guess Thorin and co, are up at the top of the back door into the uh, the cave, or the cave, the cavern, the mountain kingdom, I mm-hmm. suppose. Anyway, and, and uh, it becomes clear quickly that Thorin wants Bilbo to go. All right, you're up, slugger. This is why we brought you along, right? Right. And uh, there's an interesting turn of phrase, and I'm I am pulling a lot of what I will have to say, just as I have done on previous episodes. I'm pulling a lot of this from the Annotated Hobbit, from mm-hmm. Douglas Anderson's Annotated Hobbit, um, and he does make note of the phrase third time pays for all," which uh, he uses. So Bilbo uses this phrase. Um, he says, "You know, I've." I've pulled your butts out of the fire twice already. Right. But fine. Third time pays for all. I'm on my way. Okay. And so this phrase is interesting. And I wanted to pull it out a little bit and kind of expand on what Douglas Anderson mentions in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so third time pays for all. Bill agrees to go into the mountain. Uh, so in this this proverb, Tolkien found the proverb in Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. It's an old English poem or middle English poem that he had translated um, and he uses it twice in The Hobbit, once in this one and then once in the next chapter. Uh, but we actually have a less pithy version of it now. This is something that we are familiar with now. The The expression that we use now is once is an accident, twice, can you finish it? Once is an accident, twice is a coincidence, three times is a pattern. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, so in this case, Bilbo is now going to prove that he is not an accidental hero. Right. So we've kind of talked about Bilbo's progression through the book up to this point where he has kind of, he's accidentally or, you know, he's been a hero. You know, it starts out with the troll thing Mm -hmm. where he's like, okay, I I can totally handle this. And then he Mm -hmm. totally can't handle it. And Gandalf has to save him. We see it in the spider with the spiders in Mirkwood, and then with the uh, breaking him out of the elves' prison, where he finally kind of is getting his sea legs under him. Right. As far as a hero adventurer, mm-hmm. and now he is really fully taking charge of his own uh, heroic tendencies, his mm-hmm. bravery. Right. Right. So third time pays for all. This is, as we would say, the third time this establishes the pattern. Mm-hmm. Bilbo is, in fact a brave, heroic figure, and he is coming to accept that. Right. And it's all contained in that one little phrase. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And I think it's what we we kind of talked about in our previous episode, which was, again, however long ago, the the repetition of events and, and patterns and that Bilbo slowly gains confidence over each, each encounter. Yep. And this is the ultimate encounter where he finally has confidence in himself to make the decisions, and he's basically saying that to Thorin, you know? Yeah, exactly. Here we go. It's, I got this. I'm on it. I'm I, thought, on it. I thought the phrasing was interesting because I actually thought you were going to go a, a little bit different route with that where you're saying third time pays for all. And when Bilbo gets in and actually speaks with Smaug, Smaug is talking to him and he starts to see doubt into Bilbo's mind whether or not he's actually going to receive payment right. for his work and and so i think it's uh to note that the fact that like hey he now is confident he now believes in himself and now there's this doubt coming in of whether or not he's actually going to get paid for his endeavors where he's basically been pulling thorin and co along for quite some time sort of yeah it's man you're you're making me think some interesting thoughts here at least to me right because when as i was reading through i was thinking you know, Bilbo doesn't really, and I don't even know that I still understand this, but Bilbo doesn't really understand what the Arkenstone is. Well, maybe he I'm, hasn't yet seen the Arkenstone right. in this chapter. Right. Okay. So I may, I'm jumping ahead a or little I should, bit. Or I should say he, yeah, we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit there. But my thought is, he, we don't know why he ends up taking it when he does. Right. And well, part of it is, in my mind, because he's been that that doubt has been put into his mind whether or not he's actually going to receive exactly. payment. Exactly. And so, I think that it's a really uh, cool thing to point out where you're, we're saying he's not sure if he's going to receive payment. So he picks up the one thing that Thorin wants, and, puts and it in he his doesn't. Pocket. Yeah, he doesn't know that that's what Thorin wants. We'll we'll come to that in right. just a moment. But I do think it's really interesting that. Uh, the flip that we're seeing where uh, throughout the rest of the story, Bilbo has done these heroic things that we've mentioned, but 
it's very clear that he is dependent on the dwarves for the completion of the journey, for mm-hmm. the reward at the end of it. Um, and, and so as heroic as he's been, he is still a hanger-on. He's a follower. Right. And now that he is confident and self-assured and is ready to actually uh, knowingly go into danger in this way, this is exactly the moment when Smaug sows those seeds of doubt mm-hmm. in the company. Right. And, and saying, well, okay, so you're you're obviously very capable, but those dwarves, they're going to screw you over. And now that Bilbo is, you know, if, if, if Smaug had said that 10 chapters ago, Bilbo would have been like, well, no, no, yeah. no, mm-hmm. they're, they're my friends. Mm-hmm. Hey, come on. You know, because right. he had that dependent mindset and right. now he's independent. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so that it's interesting how I wonder if an independent mindset, which is something that we value so highly, mm-hmm. is actually fertile ground for a manipulation like this. Right. Where if we, um, if we knowingly make ourselves dependent on those we love and right. uh, those who are important to us, if that helps us to, uh, if that helps us to avoid those those kind of dissensions, I don't know if this is a a good idea. I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of thinking out loud. I'm working through this right now. I don't even know the so, answer to this question. So this is along with this. Uh, I have a question for you. Okay. So I don't have the exact phrasing. I wish I had. I had it marked in my book, and then my daughter put the book on her shelf, and she was asleep. And I didn't want to go into her room and wake her up or bring the book with me before we recorded. (laughs) So the Hubbit is lost in her room somewhere. Um, But Tolkien describes the language that that Smaug is using as magical, right? That there's a magical... I can't remember exactly the phrasing, but... Kind of lays a spell on Bilbo. Lays a spell on Bilbo. But I'm wondering if that is a... Within the story, if we should interpret that as literal magic... That there's some sort of dragon magic spell that's happening as he's speaking and and twisting his words. Yeah. But I also feel like the words on the page are fine the way that they are to in, be interpreted and and not need any sort of like underlying magic underneath them to get Bilbo to think the way that he's thinking. Right. Right. So there he's persuasive, which you could say is you know, kind of that magical quality right. of like hit the, the, he had a way with words. Exactly. He, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what I was thinking as I was reading through. Like, it feels like within Tolkien's world, within Middle Earth, and I kind of really like this and kind of not sure how I feel about this. I, You're I, about I'm, to go after soft magic, aren't you? No, not necessarily, <laughs> but just the fact that everything has some kind of magic. Sure. So, he he mentions it when he talks about the thrush, yeah, and that there's there's this magical quality to them. They were able to communicate with the men of Dale and yeah, all this stuff. And I I really like that on the one hand that everybody and everything has a sense of magic about them, mm-hmm. and you can take that literally or figuratively, however you want. I love the idea that there's something special about everything, but then I'm also like. God, this is hard to keep track of all the different kinds of magics that are that are at play here. Um, you know what I mean? Yep, absolutely. And so, anyways, that was a really long roundabout way of saying I really like the way that he described how Smaug was so convincing right. and persuasive with the way that he spoke, the ma- the magical quality of his words. But I started to think about it deeper, and I thought, is that an actual magical quality? Or is that just simply yeah, he's no, super articulate I and this ancient being? And this is something that I quite like about yeah. Tolkien and that I, I think Ryan and I brought this up on the Lord of the Rings episodes uh, five and a half years ago, <laughs> almost six years ago. Ooh. But it is something that I love where he can take everything around you and imbue it with wonder and mm-hmm. magic. And he takes a very broad, expansive uh, definition of that term Mm -hmm. magic magic does not mean you know spells and potions and you know the kind of harry potter stuff or right uh, you know i said i magic from Mm -hmm. the wheel of time or whatever magic is in in tolkien as much art and nature as it is Mm -hmm. you know miracles or something which which i like i like that it's left up to me to decide 
Yeah. Is Smaug casting a spell on Bilbo with some dragon magic language? Or is he just so articulate and well-spoken and manipulative that that's the effect that it exactly. has? Exactly. And I love magic. that I can, I can interpret that however I want to as a reader. And it really doesn't matter whichever one we land on. It still has the same effect. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a, a quote I want to read from you. Uh, on fairy stories was a lecture that Tolkien gave in Oxford way back in the day. There's a an essay that you can read, and well, it's it's you can read the lecture essentially. But in it, he says that he desired dragons, and this is a quote: "Desired dragons with a profound desire." Of course, I in my timid body did not wish to have them in the neighborhood intruding on my into my relatively safe world. But the world that contained even the imagination of Fafnir, a dragon from, never mind, doesn't matter, <laughs> was richer and more beautiful at whatever cost of peril. Hmm. And so I know that Tolkien valued this idea of wonder and magic and imagination mm-hmm. highly. Right. And so this idea that even something as simple as someone who's good at speaking, mm-hmm. someone who's good at argument and conversation, that that is some form of magic. Yeah. What new devilry is this? You know, yeah, I love it. I, yeah, I, I do too. Anyways, I share was, that with Tolkien. Yeah, and I do too. And I think that's why I was thinking, like, hey, this is this. There's something more here if you if you if we want it to be. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So as we go into this chapter, um, there was a question, and I'm gonna pull it up here from our Discord server. So I did ask uh, people if they had any questions or comments for us to address. And Lamylands asks, did Tolkien do anything interesting or groundbreaking with dragons via Smaug, or was he pretty closely sticking to established myth and lore? So this is a great question, and uh, the answer is both. As it so often is with Tolkien, mm-hmm. he he was very capable of taking something that existed before and putting, breathing new life into it in a way that you know only he could, it seems. Uh, but ultimately... It does have a very clear source, uh, maybe a couple. So in this case, we have Smaug the dragon, and he is the the not not necessarily the dragon himself, but the adventure with the dragon is patterned off of a few things. And so there is, I mentioned Fafnir, which is a dragon in the Lay of Fafnir in the Elder Edda. So you can go look it up. There's Sigurther the hero who talks with Fafnir the dragon, and they kind of verbally spar in the same way mm-hmm. that that uh, Bilbo does with uh, with Smaug. I'm not going to rehearse all of the similarities. If you would like to, I mean, you can go look up the Elder Edda and just read the Lay of Fafnir, so you could do that. Uh, or you can read Tom Shippey. I've mentioned that name a million times. Go read The Road to Middle-Earth or Author of the Century. In this case, The Road to Middle-Earth is going to be um, a little more detailed in its analysis of such things and so go check that out and you can learn a little bit more about that there's also a dragon in beowulf and so there's uh, in the story of beowulf there's a slave who sneaks to the dragon's hoard and steals a cup and runs away and the dragon wakes up and discovers that the cup is gone and goes on a rampage burninating the countryside <laughs> and uh and their thatched roof cottages exactly and so beowulf has to go slay the dragon and that is, so the Beowulf, Beowulf slaying the dragon is the earliest known instance of the dragon slayer motif that we have in, mm-hmm. um, you know, Western literature. Right. So anyway, so there was a letter actually once written that asked if Tolkien had had that in mind when he wrote of Bilbo stealing, stealing the cup. Uh, were you patterning that off of Beowulf? And Tolkien wrote... Uh, back and said, "Well, I, I suppose so. Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking of that, but but yeah, that's just naturally where the story went. And yeah, he was mm-hmm. so immersed in things like Beowulf that, right? Of course, something like that just came out. So mm-hmm. I suppose we can take him at his word. Yeah, who knows? Maybe he was lying. Maybe he just totally ripped it off. And he's like, oh crap, I got caught. Ah, uh, no. As <laughs> as all great storytellers do, <laughs> he ripped something off, pretty much, and made it." awesome again yeah what's the who's the i can't remember who quoted it and said that um good writers borrow great writers steal oh yeah i i forgot who said anyways. that but doesn't matter anyways but yeah i think you're right i think uh as far as splitting the line between traditional dragon and something modern and new 
you know, you can check some of the boxes. Scales, arm, mm-hmm. armor, hide. Yes. Breeze, fire. Yes. Love's treasure. Yes. You know, traditional, <laughs> traditional dragon. Yep. Um, and I'm not as familiar with, with the dragon lore as you just went through as mm-hmm. far as like how much they converse back and forth. But like, clearly he, you know, we just talked about his ability to persuade and manipulate Bilbo with his, with his magic language and, uh, and his kind of darker sense of humor. Yes. Um, which is great. Which I think is more, more along the lines of something new that Tolkien is adding in rather than just a mythical beast with no real motive motive or whatever, other than to have, you know, have his treasure and, and chill. Um, he's, manipulating those around him which was felt felt almost biblical yeah where you've got the serpent and all of that so yep yep yep, absolutely (laughs) i yeah i i don't think he was using the bible so much as his influence um there in the silmarillion actually i'll dip into that for just a moment there's another instance of a dragon and the dragon is slain in the same way that fafnir is with a sword to the belly Mm -hmm. you know after having yeah or yeah from from below in a trench, a sword to the belly, slay the dragon. Um, and so, yeah, he was very definitely pulling from more of those uh, right. northern myths than the, right. than the Bible, so to speak. Uh, but you mentioned his dark sense of humor. I love I love Smog's conversation uh, when he asks Bilbo who he is and Bilbo doesn't want to tell him who he is because, mm-hmm. you know, he learned that mistake with Gollum uh, or he learned from that mistake. But anyway, he says... Uh, um, you know, what, trying to get him to tell him what his name is. And he says, uh, I'm the clue finder, the web cutter, the stinging fly. I was chosen for the lucky number. Lovely titles, sneered the dragon, but lucky numbers don't always come off. And <laughs> just so menacing mm-hmm. and, and kind of funny and yep, witty, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, it is absolutely a battle of wits between the two, even more so than I think between Bilbo and Gollum. Um, because not that there's not, I want to say that there's more at stake, but there was plenty at stake between Gollum and and Bilbo, but it just feels, again, we are at the end of the quest. We are at the the peak of the story, and this battle of wits feels like the stakes are higher. Um, And Bilbo holds his own really well. Yeah, he's great. Uh, Okay, so let's move off of that conversation. We could spend a lot of time there, but I don't want to get too bogged down in the conversation. Let's actually go back to the uh, Discord comments. Did anything else come in while we were talking? Yeah, so we got this one from Horizon Brave. Okay. Um, and he says... He, he or he she. Or she uh, we they, don't know. They say, um, <laughs> how, do you think th- how do you think the buildup and suspense to Smog was done? The book in these chapters really build up Smog to be a dread and a terror. Do you think once we meet him, it was all paid off? Are you surprised by how much personality the, drag- the dragon actually has? Well, yeah, I mean, we kind of talked about the personality already. Mm-hmm. As far as the buildup goes, yeah. I mean, well, it's the book doesn't spend a ton of time on uh, talking about Smaug's deeds and everything. I think the best glimpse that we have, the best buildup would be when they go through the old ghost town of Dale mm-hmm. as they're making their way up the mountain. And so you get a little bit more history that way. All you really get up to that point is this dragon moved in and drove us all out. And so it's kind of left up to your imagination how that went down. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's fine. I th- but I think the best buildup is that scene through Dale. What do you think? Yeah, I think that that and I think just the idea of like early on when they're talking about the dragon and they're talking about this is an impossible task. And mm-hmm. so it almost just just the fact that they're saying this is basically a suicide mission, um, but we're going to try anyways, I think for me builds it up enough to be this big dread and a terror. And I think the the payoff, like we talked about with the, with the personality was so much more for me because you're thinking you're just going to get dragon and you get yeah. more than a dragon, I feel. So, <laughs> so uh, I want to go to a different subject because I popped into that discord thread and I'm looking through a little bit. And uh, some people are kind of making fun of the Benedict Cumberbatch motion capture for Smaug. And look, we've done a pretty good job through most of these Hobbit episodes of not talking about the movie too much. You know, you want to keep it to the books as much as possible. Uh, But I will say this. The book gives us what is, 
the quintessential dragon in all of you know English literature, at least modern English literature. Smaug is it, right? Mm-hmm. And if the movies did one single thing right, just one, it would have to be Smaug. I thought he was great. Agreed. And so there's now that doesn't mean that all of the scenes involving Smaug were great. It doesn't mean that they, you know, made a ton of great decisions around him. But as far as the design, the uh, the animation, mm-hmm. the sound design, as far as Benedict Cumberbatch's mm-hmm. performance, and especially the initial meeting between Bilbo and Smaug. Yes. When it starts to get out there, you can decide that for what you want. But right. the initial conversation is everything you feel. As you're reading this book. Yep. I think it's great. Yep. So there, I said something nice about the movies. How do you... Wow. Yeah. How do you Mark like it that? down. <laughs> bleep it out. Yeah. Bleep it out. <laughs> Mark the time code. Hashtag Craig's almost always right. Well, yeah, we don't talk about that. Okay. Should <laughs> we should we uh, move on to yeah. chapter 13? Uh, chapter 13 is not at home. So this is, if we're recapping a little bit, um, he has bested Smog kind of in... Mm-hmm his uh, battle of wits but then smog figures out um, okay so there's a bunch of people up by the door and he flies out and smashes up the door and the dwarves all have to run inside to the inside the mountain to escape and they do but they're stuck in that tunnel now and they have no choice but to uh, head down into smog's lair not mm-hmm. knowing if he's there or not meanwhile smog has flown off and uh, okay so that's where we are now chapter 13 is one of those where Nothing happens, but everything matters. Mm -hmm. And so basically chapter 13 is Bilbo and the dwarves wandering through, uh, wandering through Erebor, right? Right. Is there anything else that I'm not remembering? Was it the previous chapter or is it this chapter when Thorin tells Bilbo he can, he can pick his 14th? Oh, right, right, right. right. So he does tell him at some point, you know. Because he steals the cup and he comes back and he proves his worth to the company. Mm-hmm. I think that's in chapter 12. Yep. Thorin tells Bilbo, uh, you can have basically first pick. You yep. can have your pick of your four, of the 14 shares. Um, and I think that that is something of note because like we skipped ahead a little bit earlier, but he does end up choosing the Arkenstone. Exactly. Secretly. Secretly. Yep. He finds um, it. He pockets it. He hides it in his pillow. Right while uh while everybody else is sorting their treasure so they they head down they find the smog is gone and uh, so they take that time to divvy up the treasure mm-hmm. and they each claim their part and uh bilbo finds the arkenstone and he doesn't so this is where smog's manipulation is uh is paying off right mm-hmm. so bilbo finds this thing and he doesn't know exactly why but he wants to keep it right then thorin says to the company you take whatever you want but the arkenstone is mine right it's an heirloom of my house it is mine. don't you dare touch it mm-hmm. and bilbo figures out oh, oh oh that's that thing i picked up right but then he doesn't give it to thorin right and what do you think of this sorry you you look Quick like question you're, yeah this now this is going to derail it so okay no that's fine we'll come back to whatever i was going to say go um, ahead and derail is the arkenstone a silmaril v1 of the ring Oh, okay. Hmm. That's. I think it's V one of two different things, actually, right. because I think you have that same sentiment and that feeling. Like you said, Bilbo feels that this is something. There's some sort of magical quality to it. Uh, it's inherently, I guess you can say, evil or whatever you want to call it, but it has some sort of effect on the beholder. Um, and I was thinking because we had talked about the similarities between riddles in the dark and and the scenes with smaug and then yeah. having him go and revamp how more how much more important the ring became right uh i'm curious if the arkenstone was a version 1 at what he wanted to do with the ring and he decided no the ring is actually a better route to go with that yeah no i think it's a that's a savvy comment and yeah absolutely it's the same concept of an object driving you mad with Mm -hmm. lust right Right. or greed or envy or whatever the word whatever the proper Mm -hmm. word is there and yeah i I see no reason why we couldn't say v1 of the ring at least yes at this point it is version one of the ring of what the ring would eventually become in in a way obviously it's not i don't think it's a one for one no you know but i think it's 
It's and the shadow. It's yeah, the this is all presaging you know, the ring. conjecture or whatever. But we're saying, I would love to know the writing process. Yeah, where he's he's writing out this story, and he he has these very similar encounters, and then he the Arkenstone has been the center the centerpiece of this whole story for yep. for Thorin and Co. And it just feels very similar to the concept of the ring. And when he decided as an author, hey, that's what that's the idea and the route that I want to go down. But now I've got a better avenue and I'm going to build this part of it out and kind of explore. And something the Arkenstone can just be it still it's important and be its thing over here. But anyways, just no, it's great. I, I think we should talk about the Arkenstone a little bit because there is a there's a very common theory in Tolkiendom. Mm-hmm. Which is that the Arkenstone is a Silmaril. Okay. Now, Kyle, you have not read the Silmarillion, <laughs> no. and there are probably many of our listeners who also have not. So, a quick primer on the Silmarillion: there, it is named for these three jewels, the Silmarils. They are bright, glowing jewels that were made by one of the High Elves way back in the day, and wars were fought, continents sunk, blood shed, lives shattered. You know, this epic thing all revolves around trying to recover these three jewels. And uh, they're all eventually lost or taken away. And one of them... So the the uh, the fan theory, the headcanon for a lot of people is that the Arkenstone is a Silmaril. And it's an interesting theory. I actually like the theory a lot, but unfortunately that is not true. But mm. it... But, it is, I think, another kind of V1. Or in this case, it might be kind of a V2 because Tolkien had been working on his uh, his Silmarillion, for lack of a better word, right. his Legendarium for a long time already. And so he publishes The Hobbit and he had this idea of the shining jewel. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's probably likely that he kind of pulled that same concept even if he wasn't actually referring to a Silmaril. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, uh, the the Arkenstone actually comes from, the word Arkenstone comes likely from an old English word, Eorklinstan, mm-hmm. precious stone. Um, and it's interesting that when Tolkien, Tolkien actually went back to some of his old Silmarillion tales, um, not late in his career, but kind of early in his career, and he translated his own stories into old English. You think we're nerds? Yeah, I don't got that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. (laughs) He translated his own stories into Old English, and when he translated the word Silmaril, he used the word Eorklinstan, Arkenstone. And so that's been ammunition for a lot of people to say, no, this is absolutely a Silmaril. But then when he, as he developed the story, as he developed the Silmarils, uh, a Silmaril is a gemstone hallowed by Varda, which would not suffer the touch of mortal or evil hands. Um, and so they're characters who literally cannot stand the touch of it, right. and it burns them, etc. And so the dragon couldn't handle it. Bilbo couldn't handle it. So it's an infinity stone. It's an infinity stone, exactly. It's uh, the blue infinity <laughs> Sorry, stone. I don't mean to do that, but... <laughs> you got to speak your own language, you man. Know, just... I, I'm a plain language man, okay? <laughs> <laughs> You're a 21st century man. Exactly. So anyway, it's uh, if you want to keep it as your headcanon, like I said, I like the theory. I like the idea that this is a Silmaril, but it's not. So anyway. Womp womp. Womp womp. Uh, Bilbo pockets the Arkenstone. We don't know exactly why yet, but it is going to come into play in future chapters in the best part of the book. Right. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. The next episode we do has my favorite stuff. So, thought experiment for you. Would Thorin, and, and I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, so forgive me, I'm, right. I'm dipping slightly into future chapters, but Thorin ends up going a bit crazy because of this whole Arkenstone drama. Would Thorin have been more positively disposed toward sharing out the treasure and you know being a decent human being toward everybody else? Well, dwarven being... Um, if he'd found the Arkenstone or if Bilbo had given it to him. Or, so would that have kind of assuaged his greed or would mm-hmm. that have exacerbated it if he had had it in hand? I think I lean towards exacerbating it. Because you get to say exacerbate? Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, I saw the look on your face. Uh, no, I think I lean towards that because I think that's the point Tolkien's trying to make. 
um, because you have so many warnings for greed. You know, the you have Smaug who represents greed. You have the dwarves in general who are, you know, they have their lust for money and, and shiny things and things like that. And I think the, at least I'd like to think the intent is, you know, Bilbo took that away and didn't allow Thorin to be, you know, uh, engulfed with that greed or encompassed right. by that greed so that it could, like, I don't think that he's doing it on purpose. I think he's just doing it. You're right. That's how it out worked of out. His, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, that's not obviously not very well articulated, but I would <laughs> lean towards uh, if Thorin did get his hands on it, then he would not split it with any of the company. I think that he would, he would essentially become like Smaug and want to keep, want it to, to hoard everything mm-hmm. himself. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's my thoughts. Well, we'll talk more about Thorin and his uh, and his greed rage later. <laughs> so let's move on to chapter fourteen: fire and water. Well, hang oh, on a minute, because in never thirteen, mind. in thirteen, Bilbo talks to Thorin about seeing the the vulnerability in Smaug's armor. Right. Right. And so that's like you said, nothing crazy uh, interesting happens, but everything. But it's really but everything important. matters. Yeah, everything matters, and that's where the conversation about the vulnerability in in Smaug's armor takes place, and the thrush overhears and right. and is able to right set up the next chapter. Okay, all right, so. very good call out. So moving on to fire and water, and you pointed out pointed out something interesting to me before we started recording about this chapter. What would you I, like? No, would you I, like don't, to... I don't remember what it was. <laughs> I'm just I just am a, a fountain of interesting things. Well, okay, so I'll take credit for this one then. You <laughs> you mentioned and I had down in my notes as well that this is the first time that we leave Bilbo yeah, okay. for an extended period of time okay. as far as point of view. Now, point of view is a tricky thing because we're used to to uh, stuff Robert Jordan on mm-hmm. where limited third person narrative is the norm. And so when you talk about POV, it's like you know, it is Bilbo's POV. Well, in this mm. one, it's an omniscient narrator. Right. And so we've had, you know, little instances where the narrator will tell us something beyond mm. Bilbo's strict POV. Right. But in this case, we are we are outside of that entire company. And yeah. this is the first we time we've jump, done that. I think we actually jump time, right? Don't we go back like two days in time right. or something like that? So they've been it's, stuck it's been in a linear a story. It's been a linear story with our omniscient narrator, but for the most part, it's a pretty limited point of view very very straightforward storytelling right and then we actually jump back in time and jump to bard the bowman yes and we go from there okay thoughts on bard the bowman and this chapter uh i think he's v1 for aragorn (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of v1 and going on yeah i mean i think he is he's the long lost descendant of the men of Dale, right? Uh, he's the you know the lost king. Yep. He's the hero of the story. He's destined to take down the greater evil, and uh, I think he's just playing around with ideas. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. Or you know, even if he had never gone on to do the Lord of the Rings, Bard would be an interesting character. This is an interesting idea. This. Uh, uh, and I think some people would argue. I, I know that a lot of people out there don't like Aragorn, right? Because he's so kind of one-dimensional and mm-hmm. kingly the entire time, and all of that. And so, it, for those people, I would say, well, you know, how does it work for a chapter or two, where you have yeah. a guy who's like that, but you don't have to spend, you know, hundreds of pages mm-hmm. with him doing his Aragorn thing. In this case, it's just for a little while, right? right. And so we don't. He, he's not around quite so much mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, so Bard He's a hell Bowman, of a shot. <laughs> that is true. Well, only once, really. Right, yeah. But that scene, I'm sorry. Movies again. Oh, boy. Movies again. If the movies did one thing right, it was Smog. If the movies did one thing wrong, well, it would take me a long time to figure out what the one thing was. But the scene in which Bard shoots down Smog in the movie sucks <laughs> compared to the book version. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. I, there's no there's no black arrow there's no well i mean kind of not really he's using like a ballista or something yeah anyway i'm sorry i shouldn't talk about this too much i just love this scene so much in the in the book yeah. so 
Um, I do want to read kind of what happens with Smog, where uh, he, uh, I'm sorry, Bard sees the thrush. Mm-hmm. And he's about to shoot his last arrow. It's his, it's his wonderful black arrow, and the thrush comes up, and he's surprised that he can understand the thrush. And the thrush says, "Look for the, uh, look for the hollow of the left breast as he flies and turns above you." And then, <laughs> so this is good. This is super duper um, medieval Norse right. kind of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, which is the addressing of your weapon. Right. And so Bard talks to his own arrow. <laughs> and he calls it arrow. Black arrow. No, he's no, just arrow. Oh, no, you're right. He says, arrow, black arrow. I have saved you to the last. You have never failed me. And always I have recovered you. I had you from my father and he from of old. If ever you came from the forges of the true king under the mountain, go now and speed well. So I, it's I very poetic. read that paragraph for a reason. Partly it's because I, this is something that in a modern book you couldn't get away with. An editor would look at this and go, this is terrible dialogue. Mm-hmm. Nobody would nobody would talk like that, even in a story like this. Nobody talks like this. Mm-hmm. The action, it's slowing down the action where, you know, this dragon is torching everything around him. And now you are going to take a break to, you know, recite a poem to your arrow. Come on. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't care. I, I'm not looking for super realistic dialogue right what i'm looking for or what i get here i guess is a paragraph that gives you a ton of information about bard mm-hmm. about the arrow about the history of his family and and it's very it's very classic uh classic storytelling right yeah. um it feels very beowulf <laughs> to you know shocker yeah i mean it feel like i said when you read it it sounds poetic it sounds like um like what the what the impression of a fantasy type story would be it's very fantastical there you go there you go so the let's see um the and then the next paragraph is one of my favorite in the entire book uh the dragon swooped once more lower than ever and as he turned and dived down his belly glittered white with sparkling fires of gems in the moon but not in one place the great bow twanged the black arrow sped straight from the string, straight for the hollow by the left breast where the foreleg was flung wide. In it smote and vanished, barb, shaft, and feather, so fierce was its flight. With a shriek that deafened men, felled trees, and split stone, Smaug shot spouting into the air, turned over, and crashed down from on high in ruin. Holy smokes! Mm-hmm. Want to talk about epic writing? Yeah. That is perfect. Agreed. So, anyway, yeah. I just... Uh, I don't have anything else to say about it other than dope. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, I thought something that stood out to me was when Smaug originally gets down there, he's flying down there and the people of Lake town have destroyed their bridges. Mm, yeah. And Smaug's upset that they've destroyed their bridges. <laughs> right. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, you, you're, you can fly, bro. Remember, <laughs> remember those wings? You're, you're a dragon, but he had to be, aware of his vulnerability right right presumably i would think so i mean he's they say they say that he is aware of his treasure down to the last coin basically right and that's why he's aware of the cup that bilbo steals mm-hmm. from him so right? he would be aware and of you would and scales. you would think that he'd be aware of his scales and at first i was thinking like why would he really care about the bridges but i'm thinking one, there's a vulnerability there, and two, um, it talks about it. Uh, it That's talks a nice it, catch. I it, like this. It talks about how he's afraid of the lake, um, Smaug. And so I actually marked it, so I'll read it real quick, and I probably won't do as well as you did, but bear with me. He talks specifically about the bridges being cut and being afraid of the lake. He says, amid, sh- amid shrieks and wailing and the shouts of men, he, he came over them swept towards the bridges and was foiled. The bridge was gone, and his enemies were on an island in deep water, too deep and dark and cool for his liking. If he plunged into it, a vapor and a steam would rise enough to cover all the land with a mist for days, but the lake was mightier than he. It would quench him before he could pass through. So 
he wanted to probably it's probably more of a tactical move for him to attack via land because there's probably a great deal of energy that it takes to breathe fire and fly and and it exposes his underbelly vulnerability right whereas if he's walking on bridges and on land he can that's it, covered up his armor is 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 what's taking the brunt of it and he's eating faces and you know what i mean <laughs> uh but burninating the country burninating the countryside but i i really liked that he called out that smaug himself was afraid of the lake and that like even he the mightiest of creatures that we're all terrified of is he trying, has a weakness yeah, he has a weakness but he's also trying to you know rain fire but in a tactical way that's more adva- advantageous to him right right and so i just liked it because he knows he's not invulnerable. Yeah, I'd never caught that. You know, I've never had a great answer for why did they build on the lake. Mm-hmm. There you go. There you go. Yeah, why would you build your town in the middle of the lake? Well, yeah. yeah. Smog's afraid of water. It's one of those, well, no, duh. And of course, all the listeners are going, come on, Craig. You've read this how many times? <laughs> come on, dude. Yeah, well. Uh, yeah, it takes a different mind to think of such things. Anyway, so, okay, we've kind of come to the edge of the end of that. Bard shoots him down the the villagers think he's dead he's not um there's much rejoicing yay yay and (laughs) i wanted to ask you were you disappointed at all that it was bard who shot the dragon down and that it wasn't bilbo or thorin or one of the other dwarves who came here for this purpose to slay the dragon and claim the treasure that they didn't get the big payoff here toward the climax of the book uh no okay and for a couple of reasons one i think that that's not the story that tolkien's trying to tell i don't think he's trying like we we put the we put the hobbit we put you know this hero's quest story up as like this is the the trope yep right uh, but I think he's trying to subvert those tropes that you see in Beowulf or that you see in like a King Arthur style story where it's the it's the strongest, bravest warrior hero that slays the dragon. And I think he because you I mean, you could argue that. But in this Bil- case, it is it is well, the warrior. It who is does the that, right? it is the warrior warrior who shoots the dragon down. But it is Bilbo with his empathy and his ability to think through things that uncovers the key to taking down the dragon. And I think that the hero of the story is not Bard the Dragon Slayer. The hero of the story is Bilbo. And so I think that that's the story that Tolkien is is telling. And so I'm okay that Bilbo isn't the hero, quote-unquote hero, that slays the dragon. But he is the hero of the story. Right. Um, yeah. No, that makes sense to me. So, so no. Um, the thing that I was not disappointed in, but surprised by, was Bard shoots down Smaug. Smaug falls on the town. Everything's dead and gone. And there is no time for celebration. It's immediately into the political things yes. after the fact. And we'll get into that the next probably episode when we get into obviously the five armies and all of that. But there is very little celebration and rejoice and being happy the fact that this dread and this terror that has been over this town for centuries or for however long is now gone. And it is immediately practical thinking how do we rebuild? What's the next step? What do we got to do? Sort of. I mean, it's not yes and no. Right. It is that, but it's another commentary on, like you said, on greed. And in this case, it is a peek into what Tolkien might say is really in the hearts of men. Mm-hmm. If you give them, if you take away the obstacles, if you take away the mm-hmm. fear, if you take away that dragon, the dragon is gone. What do they instantly think of? Well, then there's treasure in them, their mm-hmm. caves. Yeah. That is, that's their first thought. And they send away. So Bard is organizing everybody and he sends away to the king of the elves in Mirkwood and the runners get there. And it turns out that they're already on the march because they'd heard of what was going on and they knew mm-hmm. that there was a bunch of treasure in those caves. So even the elves weren't immune to this. Right. They had heard that something was going down with Smaug and there's like, and they're saying if he's, 
if he's gone, that's an open that, door for us. Yep. We're going to hop in there, mm-hmm. and then eventually there will be the goblin armies that arrive as well. And so it's uh, so nobody is immune to this right. greed mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, but we will get to that. And go on. What were you going to say? I was just going to turn your question back on you and say, yeah. so were you upset? That, oh, that it was Bard? That it was Bard and not Bilbo or the Dwarves. No, I'm with you. I, I, I'm I, happier that it's... It would have felt... It would have rung very false if Bilbo had... Figured out how to... Yeah, if he'd, if he'd kind of been the one to sneak in and he takes off the ring and delivers an Arnold Schwarzenegger one-liner quip <laughs> and then stabs Sting into the heart of, you know, the broken right. scale or whatever. No, that, that wouldn't have felt right for right. Bilbo or the story. And, right. Uh, and, so. and you can't let one of the dwarves kill him because the dwarves have been utterly useless the entire time. <laughs> and <laughs> I we'll, shouldn't say that, but for the most part, yeah. And will continue to be so. Right. Uh, anyway, all right, let's let's go ahead and leave it there. We've got the power vacuum now that Smaug is gone and, and all of these, when you have the power vacuum, everything comes rushing in and what you think of as the uh, climax of the story turns out not to be mm-hmm. such. The climax is still yet to come, right? Because really, it's about uh, it's about what the dragon was yeah. guarding. It goes back to the screen time that we were talking about, where it was very jarring to think like there wasn't very much Smaug screen time. Yep. It was set up as the big big reveal, and you look at how many pages you have left in the book when when Smaug's dead, and you're like, wait, I still got a bunch of story to go. What what's going to happen? Yeah. All right, well, let's do that. So we're going to finish out the book on the next episode. Uh, can you believe that? We're wow. almost done with The Hobbit Dang. eight months after we started it, <laughs> whatever it was. You know, it's funny. People are going to come back and listen to these, you know, for the next year, two years, five years. And uh, to them, they're just going to listen episode after episode. But for us, it's been months. And so mm-hmm. if we've repeated ourselves, I'm sorry. We'll probably do it again when we finish it in three months. So deal (laughs) with it. Anyway, we will see you guys on that episode. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, you can support us at patreon.com slash legendarium. And make sure you go to thelegendarium.reddit.com. You can join the conversation there. I would encourage you to do so. And I've also stickied a post there with a link to our Discord server. So if you would like to have a little bit more real-time kind of chat room style interaction with not only us, I think you and I are the most active uh, right. panelists in discord but then also just a ton of other listeners who are happy to chat about tolkien and mm-hmm. and on mm-hmm. and on with it's every other yeah every come other author up. you can think of so come join us there we'd love to see you thank you so much for listening to this and we will see you next time